The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Side studies. All right. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy the Eye Candy Kimsey. Melt in your mouth, not in your hand. <laughs> Sorry. Used to be slick, wow. Billy, but Lord. Melt in your mouth. <laughs> Straight out wow. of Compton is Ralph Hicks. Represent. Yeah, and behind the glass is Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want to point out, I don't... <laughs> Have we made it clear Clayton. that Ralph Hicks is literally straight out of Compton? It's not just like a cute Nick. Uh, I think so. But well, I, don't I, know. I, think we, I think we did that once, but yeah, you can tell I, us again. Yes, we. My birth certificate does say Compton, California. Yeah, that is awesome. Him and Calvin Brodus. That shows how old I am. It was a great neighborhood back then. Does anybody know who Calvin Brodus is? No. It's Snoop Doggy Dog. Oh, oh Snoop yeah. Dogg. That's right. Yeah, uh, and then Nate Dog was from there. D O double G. D O double G. Oh, yeah. Apparently, like the Williams, the Williams sisters. Yep, the Williams sisters. Dr. Dre. Uh, I think that's where NWA was from, right? Was Compton. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that would have been Ice Cube and all those those guys. And then I also have with us here a special guest, Jonas Welch. I have no special name. And I get, As Billy but said, I think I'd be all right with it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> you should be like Jonas, the mini me Welch. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mini Jack. Mini Jack, everyone. Hey, I'm go. Jonas, the accident we'll, Welch. We'll, we'll, <laughs> like, <laughs> the accident. We'll call him Squirt, you know, that is little Squirt. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> All these dual oaths imply an amount of diminutive that he is not. He's just a regular-sized person, for the record. <laughs> I'm uh, bigger I than mean, Rick. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel fine. Uh, I mean, I should be okay. Yeah, people are probably going to kill me for this, but whenever— <laughs> I probably shouldn't even say this on this podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. When he was little, I took him— We The kids played baseball, but before he had started playing, before he went into t-ball, he was little, and he had to go pee, and we had to walk across the entire park, you know, and take him over there, and they had those really tall urinals, you know, like, they go the the height of the wall, and so we were standing there, and I was peeing, and he was peeing, and he looked over at me, and he goes, mine's bigger than yours. (laughs) (laughs) So I kicked him into the urinal. (laughs) (laughs) bummer yeah so you hurt my feelings hurt my feelings son just let it out Rick just let it out just cry I I was like you gotta be kidding me right now (laughs) there really is a lot of emotion with it not to mention the man that was sitting inside the stall that was sniggering (laughs) I was like come on man come on man anyway well come on man we do not have Cherry Lewis with us today she is out and about uh, again, she mentioned one that camper. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that camper, man. She loves that camper, and she's getting her moved again. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I hate that What's she's her not camper's here. name? You know, that's funny. I don't know if she has a name for it. Larry. Larry the camper. Yeah. Well, 
So in our last episode, guys, this we're in the Olivet Discourse. This is a part three of our Olivet Discourse, and we we've already discussed about uh, trying to keep in the audience relevance to stay within the context. You know, I was kind of driving it home. Who is the you that Jesus is talking about? The you being it was the disciples that he was talking to, and so I wanted to make sure that we all kept it in context. And uh, biblical. I'd like to double down on that for Billy. So a lot of Rick's angle on this is reading it not as we tend to sometimes, like it is speaking actually to us, mm-hmm. but reading it like a transcript of a conversation and how those people would take it in the context of specifically it being a conversation and not applying and not being meant even to apply, though it probably was, to us. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that, that makes sense because so, yeah, the yeah I've missed the first two studies, so I'm kind of playing catch up. So okay, yeah, that that does Im- make sense. Very okay, important yeah. for Rick's interpretation, though, that it be looked at through that lens. So, so let me ask you this, then, Rick. So you're you're wanting us to look at it as Jesus is talking to the disciples, not us, right? Correct. Yes. Is that how we're supposed to view it, or that's just how we're viewing it as as we're talking about it in this podcast? Because like I could I could argue the point like because we've said even before that the Bible is a guideline for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're a disciple. I feel like kind of. Yes. I mean, you came to me a year ago, and I've learned more in the past year than I have in forty years. Mm-hmm. So why are we picking this and saying, well, he's just talking to the disciples at the time? So. Because he's using time statements to describe things that are happening. Okay, he is giving a prophecy of okay. when something should take place. A prophecy and is what? A prophecy is telling the future. He's telling uh, it, future events. It's a prediction, events. though, correct? Okay. Yes, okay. it's a prediction. Okay. So if Jesus says, love your neighbor, mm-hmm. and he's telling the disciples that, that he, that he is teaching something about the kingdom, and he's saying that if you are a part of the kingdom, then you will love your neighbor. We can take that and apply that to ourselves. Okay. If he says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, if he's telling us, look, in the kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, then we understand, well, if I want the kingdom of heaven, then I then I want to be poor in spirit. I need to know what that means. So how do I apply that to myself? How do gotcha. I learn that? Okay. So... There are times when you're reading the Bible that you can take things and apply it, and you should. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the Word of God is. It's basically the combination of all the letters of all of these disciples, these believers in Jesus, uh, both Jewish and Gentile, for us to read and to apply. However, when you read certain prophetic books, for instance, when you're reading the book of Jeremiah— and he's talking about the destruction of the temple the first time it was destroyed. You're not reading that book and thinking that it's going to affect your life tomorrow or tonight or in 10 years. You're looking at it from a historical perspective. You can read history and see, yeah, it happened. In 583 BC, Nebuchadnezzar II sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took Daniel and those other Jewish children back to Babylon. That happened. And you can read it historically. Okay, so if you're reading Matthew 24, and it's we call it the Olivet Discourse, uh, and I believe it's uh, paralleled, and I think Mark chapter eight and Luke chapter twenty something. I can't mm-hmm. remember them all, that but about right. Luke 16 somewhere. Uh, 
then if you're reading that, and he's talking about future events to the disciples, if we know that historically what he said happened, happened, then you can't really apply it to your future, but you can learn from it. You remember how I've said that the Bible was not written to us, but it is for our benefit? Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. Anytime you read a letter to the church that's in Thessalonica, it is written to them. And so... There are certain things in there when he says uh, that a husband should love his wife. Well, well, we can apply that. A husband should love his wife. That's kingdom living. That's what you should do. As Christ loved the church, that's a different kind of love. That's pretty deep. So now we need to learn what does it mean to that? How did Christ love the church? Well, he gave his life for the church. So we can apply it. In this particular instance, when you read the, the Olivet Discourse, and just for a refresher, uh, Ralph, do you mind reading the Olivet Discourse again? Uh, we're going to be focusing today on Matthew 24, 15 through 20, but I would like you to read, if you don't mind, Ralph, read Matthew 24, verses 1 through 20. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold." But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of the desolation spoken by, by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your fight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Thank you, Ralph. So as you can see, he's trying to describe to them, because what's going on as a recap is they've ju they just sat and listened to him blast the Sanhedrin in the temple. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Well, you know, you strain out an at and swallow a camel, and you you basically I you give a, a tenth of your mint dill and cumin, but you forgot the other part, the most important parts of the law. So he's just blasted them. And as he's walking out of the temple, the disciples are like, Hey, look how pretty these buildings are. And he's like, You see these, right? There's not going to be a stone left upon another. So when they go up to the Mount of Olives and they're sitting there, they ask him the question, mm -hmm. you know. When will these things be? Well, what things? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the day, in the end of the age? Sign of what coming? Coming in to take his full role as Messiah. They believed he was the Son of God, Son of Man, Messiah. 
So they're not thinking about a second coming. They're not thinking about him dying. They're thinking about when are you going to come in and usher in the kingdom? Mm-hmm. We're here. We're with you. We're we're following you. You're our Messiah. When is the end of the age? What's the end of the age? Is it the end of the world? Is it a cataclysmic earth burning destruction? No. It's the end of the of the Jewish nation's apostasy. They did not believe and they did not trust God. When are you going to take it away? He was he was calling woe on the religious leaders of his time because they weren't following God. So they're like, when are you going to end that age and start your kingdom age? When is the kingdom going to come? That's what he's... So when they asked him the question, his answer was to them, not to us. We didn't ask Jesus when it was going to happen. They did. So in the context, because we read Revelation and people think there are future events... And that's okay. Now, I wrestle with it myself. Some I think there are future events, and then sometimes I'm like, maybe there. I don't know if I can find some evidence. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. I, I can't raise my flag in any camp quite yet. I'm still studying. But for me, just to keep things in context, it's simple for for me to hear him say, when when they say, so when you know when are these going to thing these things going to happen? He says, see that no one leads you astray, meaning the those disciples saying, I'll be the Christ, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, right? Nation's going to rise against nation. There's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. This is just the beginning of the birth pains, you know? So he's telling them, you're going to see all of these things. And the reason I say it's very clearly about the timestamp is because uh, there towards the end of this, he says... In verse 34, truly I say to you, he's still talking to the disciples, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's what Jesus says. So if you keep it in the context, everything that he just said, he's saying in their generation, they're going to see it. So what we have, we've talked about how the rapture was a new teaching, and it was from 1830. John Nelson Darby was the one that had you know started this, and then you had, uh, what was the name of the man who had the Bible? What was that special Bible? I can't the Guggen? Huh? The Guggenheim? No, 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 no. I'm talking about, um, he had the gap theory, uh, Schofield. Oh. The Schofield Bible, and, you know, and then the uh, D.L. Moody was, you know, kept this teaching going on with the rapture and all this, and then Dallas Theological Seminary School, Moody Bible Institute, they still, they're proponents of this future dispensationalist view. Okay, and they start splitting hairs. Well, all of the early New Testament writers, these things will soon take place, soon come to pass, must shortly come to pass, quick, 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 fast, fast. Surely I come quickly in Revelation. I'm, you know, the very first, let me read the very first verse of Revelation, and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about today, which is the abomination of desolation. By the way, I meant Gutenberg, not uh, Guggenheim. (laughs) (laughs) What is the Guggenheim? Isn't that like a museum? (laughs) It was the person in a museum, yeah, but I was speaking of the Gutenberg Bible. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) When you said it, I didn't, I was like, I thought that was a museum, but. Yeah, I thought it was a statue or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like a, Sometimes a dish what's in the that mind you get when you go to House Heidelberg. <laughs> Sometimes what's in the mind and comes out of the mouth are different things. Oh, oh starving. Yeah. I'd like some Guggenheim, please. Mmm, <laughs> delish. <laughs> Revelation 1, verse 1. Listen to, listen to this. This is John on the Isle of Patmos that's writing this. And pay close attention to the time. Keep in mind that this was written 
uh, some scholars say it was written in 8096, which was literally 26 years after the destruction of the temple. However, some scholars also say, nope, not possible. It had to have been written prior to 66 because Nero was the emperor at the time. So before the destruction of the temple. First verse of Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Think about it. The things that must soon take place. Now, if it was written in AD 66 or 96, pick 96, go for it. How many years has it been? Is your term soon, what does it mean? And what people do is they say, well, for God, that's quick, man. Well, I, mean, I was just going to say that, but not in that, in not in that, that, that voice. But, uh, because, but I, because when I'm doing it, I'm making fun of it. But that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I have to do to get you to shift your mind. It's like 2,000 years is soon in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But it's not. If you if you use the context of the Bible in the Old Testament. But you said yourself that God has no time. He does He's not. He's just hanging out up there. A day is as he, a thousand he years. He doesn't need a cig, cigarette break or anything yeah. like that. He's just, you know, uh, I'm done with the dinosaurs. Snap, boom, they're gone. I'm going to yep. keep the sharks. Okay, humans are here. You know, yeah. and it's, it's so. So let me ask you this question. It might be soon to him. And it might be soon to him. You're right. But how is that comforting to people who are being persecuted to death? And Paul's writing a letter. Paul writes a letter to them and he says, look, I know you guys are suffering, but I don't want you to worry because Jesus is coming soon. They all believed that Jesus was coming soon. They all believed that. They did. You can't deny it. You have to. How else? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me comfort you. You're hurting right now. But if you're, but if, don't if, worry about it because 2,000 years from now, it's going to be fine. If you're in the good, then who cares? Like, mean? like I mean, if you're good with Jesus, you're not the, the, watching your your children be strung up and burned for a garden party. True. Okay, you know we're complaining because we have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Those people oh, were yeah, literally being strung up, quartered, beheaded. You know, see what I mean? Well, yeah, you can argue argue that the the times now. You know, when people say, "Oh, times are bad," uh, are they? <laughs> I don't are, think so. Are they? Yeah. Like so. the next time I have a garden party, I'm going to bring you all up to the house, put you on a spike, set you on fire, yeah. and use you as light. You know, that's you, what they were dealing you with. You lost me at garden party. So, <laughs> try something. I went to a garden party. So, you don't want to go to a garden party? With my what is a garden friends? party? I have no idea. So, it's got a whole so, bunch of gnomes in there, and they're just hanging out. It's like... <laughs> The Travelocity gnome. So, yeah, follow, the like, yeah. follow the yellow Follow the yellow A couple pink flamingos. There are yeah. no appetizers. What kind of party is this? <laughs> yeah, they didn't have TGI Fridays back then. So Rick's looking for evidence that some of these things did happen in the timeline before the death of the apostles, uh, the way that Jesus seems to describe the timeline happening. Well, he supposes when, from, that, in the Olivet Discourse. Yeah, he's supposing that the second coming came uh, when the temple was destroyed in seventy I will, AD. I will, I will put out that Rick has never said he is solid on that, but that is a theory. He's right. Yeah. I'm, what I'm yeah. saying once is, the temple was destroyed, the last stone. Then, then that's it. Yeah, what I, what I'm saying is that Jesus is describing in this Olivet discourse that when this happens, that the Son of Man comes in great power and great glory. It's, it's what he says when you know when you get down below twenty. What you didn't hear is he he says that. Um, 
let's see, false prophets in verse 24 for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. I have told who beforehand? Us or the disciples that he was talking to. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather, uh, no, sorry, uh, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other, which we're going to get into in a later part of the oh, study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess my point is, is that when he says all of these things, at the end of all of this, he says, this generation shall not pass. It's this generation, not that generation. If he wanted to change that, he could have said, that generation will not pass. But that's not what he said. He said that this generation, Jesus believed himself that the destruction of the temple would happen within a generation. And it did, by the way. You can't argue the fact that the temple was destroyed. I wasn't trying to argue that. I just had a question that maybe he was talking about when the coming was that this generation, meaning that, that During generation. that coming time, right, right, yeah, and you're, and again, it's parsing, right. You have to remember that the disciples were sitting here listening to him say these things. Now, the Revelation letter that was written while John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos was it written to us or was it written to someone specifically? It says it in the letter to the seven I do churches. Not know. Yeah, to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And he names off those churches. And the Schofield takes that each church is a different age, and they start breaking out the ages and all this stuff. He wrote the letter, and it went to those churches during the time of the persecution. Emperor Nero was a bastard. This guy, he was killing Christians. Like, if you think Hitler was bad, I'm going to get into the history of Nero. That guy was pure evil. When you guys were talking about Caligula the other day, I said Nero because yeah. he was... Wow. Yeah, I mean, Nero is really something. He killed his own parents. You know, I mean, he yeah, tied he was people not up. A nice he chewed guy. off their genitals. He was brutal. He, he was not a nice guy. He's the one that killed Peter and Paul. Like, he's the one that had Peter crucified upside down and had Paul beheaded. That was Nero. Oh, see, if he one more and it would have been Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> Fortunately, Mary's with the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's that? <laughs> No comment. Barabbas. <laughs> Barabbas. <laughs> Find out last time on Burrows of Burrito. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, I want to focus on this real quick. All right. So uh, if you just do me the favor and try to keep it in context, you can have whatever eschato eschatological view that you want. I'm just asking you for this study to just take the time statement into consideration. Because I am going to break out some historical narrative that's going to blow your mind. Guys, a lot of the stuff that was written, I can show you where it was fulfilled. Like these things that Jesus said actually happened. 
I got to tell you, there's a lot in what you sent us, and I spent two hours trying to decipher and find so much of it. It was, it was like homework in college. It's like, oh my god, am I back in physics class? Because you put out a lot of information. It was really hard to go through and follow. And at the end, I was unclear. Yeah. Did you study it thoroughly? I went through as much as I could in the time I had, about two and a half hours. But, yeah. you know, looking up different passages, uh, going on the web and asking what other people thought about the Olivet Discourse, about the desolation, about the resurrection, about the ascension, all of those different things, and try to put this together to try to come to the same conclusion that you did. And it, at the end, I was unclear. Yeah. Jonas, you and I have had some conversations about this, right? Yes. I told you kind of like where I'm going in my head. Yes. But what have you been— what, what have you learned over the course of your life? Like, what do you know about the second coming of Jesus? Have, do you think of it as a future event? Um, I would see it as more like a uh, personal coming, where it was like, when he comes to you, like, that's how I see it as like Jesus' second coming. Mm. Because like, after doing my research and hearing all that I can learn so far from what I have learned there's there's still a lot there is so much there like it's not enough for me that like i'm never going to be able to know all of it but as far as what i believe the uh, second coming of jesus would be i believe it would be something that i would take to heart like mm -hmm. something that like it was going to matter to me and then like once i start spreading around my word and what i know then it will happen to someone else mm -hmm. and then another on another and then another on another. Right. And like, that's how I see it. As far as Jesus coming back, like, I think it's a lot of speculation as far as when he's going to be coming back, mm -hmm. you know, like as far as if he is going to come back and when is he going to come back? Like that is totally justifiable to like, speculate on, in my opinion. I yeah. mean, like, that's just what I think. So if he is going to come, then I don't know when it's going to happen. Just if he is coming back, I hope I'm on the right track. Yeah. So Rick, when you first heard about this, when you were studying as a kid, what, what did they teach you? That Jesus was coming back and he was coming soon and we need to be prepared. So what was the second coming to them when they were saying that? Because to me, it was the second coming was when he was coming here to reign over the earth and judgment would come. Well, it was split. It was more like three comings. Honestly, if you, if you really get into it, they teach you that the rapture, which is premillennial reign from where I was taught in the Baptist church that I went to, that Jesus would um, descend with a shout, you know, and then the dead in Christ would physically explode out of the ground first. And then we, which are alive and remain, would immediately begin to ascend up into heaven, almost like bodily form. Until I watched the movie Left Behind, and then I saw like pilots <laughs> disappearing and planes crashing, and, you know, suddenly people's clothes are just like laying there on a basketball court, you know, and all of those old, like, John Hagee films that were terrifying you. Like, <laughs> there's a basketball game, and a kid 
gets the ball and he goes to pass it to his buddy, but his, you know, his basketball <laughs> right. clothes are on the gym floor, mm. you know, and you're like, I hope you're right with God because if you passed it to that guy, he's gone and you're not, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, as a kid, you know, they give these little uh, sermons, you know, in the youth group. And by the time the sermon was done, every kid in the entire gym was running down getting saved because we didn't want to be left behind, right. you know, and that, that's what we were taught, you know, is you need to be ready. And the, and all of the prophecies are fulfilled. And, you know, I'd said earlier in the, in the recordings of this podcast that guys, I've been studying a lot and I feel like Jesus is coming sooner than you think. And the reason I said it that way is because I believe he already did. And but is it full? They have division. This is called the hyperpreterist view, which is well, first of all, preterist, preter meaning past. And so preterism says that all of the uh, prophecies were fulfilled in the past. Okay. And so you have some that are called full preterists, which believe that all prophecy has been fulfilled. And then you have groups like R.C. Sproul. Have you heard of R.C. Yes. Sproul? Mm-hmm. Very well known. Uh, he's what's called a partial preterist, which means that he believes like the temple and uh, all of that's destruction. The Antichrist has already come at this point, but that the full where Christ comes and sets up his kingdom and begins the millennial reign has not happened yet. That That's how he reads the scripture. So I'm neither hyper or full. I'm in a very deep study. I'm, I'm making the decision. I don't necessarily believe in the dispensationalist point of view anymore because I definitely believe that a lot of the scripture has already been fulfilled just because of my reading from history. And the arguments that are placed to me are, well, if it's not in the Bible, then then it's not real. Well, the last thing that was written was Revelation, which was prior to the destruction of the temple. So everything that they saw was, you know, ahead looking, correct? Right. So am I correct in assuming that you believe that the second coming has come, but Christ uh, reign over the earth has not. Yeah. So in future episodes of this podcast, uh, we've done some side studies and uh, we did the origin of Satan. And and I'm sure Andy will remember, we got into the divine council, the heavenly host that stood beside God. And Yeah, that stuff's fascinating. Yeah. And that we talked about uh, the could other gods have existed? You know, was Yahweh the supreme eternal God, the one that always is and was and is to come? He is the Almighty, but that there were other gods like Chamash from Moab and Molech from the Ammonites. Were those just idol gods or Dagon, let's say? Uh, I think Dagon was of the Philistines. I can't remember. But there were other gods that were mentioned. And He's called the God of gods. Yahweh is the God of gods. And so I'm beginning to see a twofold thing happening because in the Revelation, he talks about, and I saw a war in heaven. And Michael the archangel comes down and he fights with the dragon, and the dragon's tail sweeps a third of the stars down with it. And we understand that the dragon according to Revelation 12, is that old serpent, Satan, the devil. And we know who Michael the archangel is. He's the patron angel of Israel. He is the one that fights for Israel. Some believe that he is Christ. I don't believe that. I believe when it says that the Lord himself will descend with a shout and with the voice of an archangel, that that voice of the archangel is Michael's voice. It's Christ shouting, but it's Michael's voice that's coming out. 
and that that loud trumpet call is whenever this war takes place. And I found in historical, four different historical books, Josephus, um, Hegesippus, um, Tacitus, of something that happened in Jerusalem uh, right at the siege, where they saw chariots of fire and men fighting in the sky over Jerusalem. And it's from... These are not Christian people. This is UFO people use this a lot. They like to go back and read this historical account by men that were well known, honest, well, to the best of their ability, historians, that these things happened. And so the more I started reading Josephus and Tacitus, I started seeing like, and then Cassius Dio, he's another one. Like, they're these histories. Uh, Origin makes mince of it. Clement, these early church fathers, they talk about it, that this thing happened. And so I'm seeing something dual. I'm seeing a war in heaven, and I'm seeing earthly things happening simultaneously. So it's almost like the way that I'm seeing it, and guys, I'm sorry, all you listeners, just hear me out. I'm studying this. I'm not a scholar. I'm doing the best that I can with what I'm reading Michael Heiser, who is a very well-known scholar, talks about the Divine Council. He talks about the other gods. He talks about the 70 nations after the Tower of Babel and whenever those gods were established over those nations. And that when Christ came, these disembodied spirits, which were demons, Christ was you know, exercising these demons out of people. That there is a war in heaven. There is a otherworldly thing that's going on aside from what's going on with mankind. It sounds like mythology, you know, and we've talked about it a little bit, and, and you guys have no idea what I'm talking about because you haven't got to the side study yet, but you'll hear about it. There's there's plenty of information in the scriptures if you really listen to what it says that there were other gods for other nations, but Yahweh was the God of the Hebrews, and he is the eternal God. He's the God of gods, and Christ came and destroyed those demons. What did, what did Jesus say? When he, do, when he talks about the sheep and the goats, he says, depart from me, you workers of, of iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay? And we get into, we talk about the book of Enoch, the man that was translated, that never died, that walked with God. There was a book, a pseudepigraphal writing called the book of Enoch that talks about these other gods over other nations. So, and the book of Jude actually quotes the book of Enoch. And, you know, and Cherry and I, and all of us, we were like, is it possible that the book of Enoch should have been? Well, Irenaeus, who was putting together the Bible, wanted the book of Enoch in the canon, but it never made it. It just didn't get in there. It's considered a non-canonical book. It's pseudepigraphal. It was written in the first century, or was it written before and multi-translated and found in the, who knows? Anyway, my point is, is that there is something to the divine council, the gods of other, uh, this war in heaven, is it just good angels versus bad angels, or is it Jesus eliminating the gods over every nation and now bringing the gospel to the Gentiles? Because the gospel has been brought through the mystery of God, which we've, you know, which we talk about in our Mystery of God episode. Actually, we have. I just realized where we are. Uh, We're in the, yeah, yeah, so... I think we could set aside more time to talk about that sort of like Old Testament yeah. sort of stuff and that, that pseudepigraphals because that stuff is like, it's wild and super interesting. It is. And and there's, 
there's a lot of scholars that believe this. And today, since the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, there's more and more information that's come out. The Book of Enoch was at the Essene colony found in the Cormoran village. Like, they believed that book was, you know, something to be studied and understood. So, for me, I think that the way that we've interpreted Revelation, the way we've interpreted this Olivet Discourse, has been from an earthly perspective only, waiting on the Christ only, and waiting on those angels only, and then getting to the, you know, the great white throne judgment and all that. I think that there's more to it. I think there's a twofold way of looking at this second coming, that his coming in the clouds when he brings judgment against Israel and the temple is destroyed was a real thing, but it wasn't the coming of when he is going to bring and establish the kingdom on earth. A full preterist says that it's already happened and we're in the new heaven and a new earth. I could spiritually talk this into existence, I guess, if I wanted I'm not going to. I don't think that that's the way it is. I think that there's something more to it, and we're learning. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I think so. But I think that it's it's safe to say that if Jesus said, this is going to happen in this generation, that if it didn't happen, then he's a liar, and he's wrong, and if he is, then he's not the Son of God, and I don't know why we're even here. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And if you're going to try to that's explain it away, and thousands of years later, and this is still considered soon, that's bogus. It doesn't even work with the language. He was talking to them then and telling them this is what they all believed it. Scholars understand they all believed that it was going to happen in their generation. I like it that you said that the way you said it too, because a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible and I don't understand, I try to put myself in that time and try to understand who they were and what they believed and uh, what they know. were seeing. And yeah, and what many, they were and leaving. most of the people there didn't read it right. So, and everything was, was, uh, was learned, uh, you know, word of mouth. Uh, so I like that we're doing this, trying to put ourselves back in that time. And like you said earlier, uh, when Billy asked, think about this from the apostle's point of view, Christ telling you these things as an apostle, and then how does that interpret and in what setting and what time frame does that happen for you? And what do these words mean to you? Like this is happening. Right, and if they're going to go out and share the gospel, generation will not pass. Right, if they're going to share the gospel and they're going to start telling people and they're going to write these things down and all this is going to happen, then they're telling other people that's going to happen in our generation too. They're not saying that generation someday. They're not doing it, so they continue on. And I, I've heard people say, "Well, every generation needs to be prepared." I think he said it that way so that everybody could be. Jesus isn't playing a trick on us when he says that. Jesus said it to them. He meant it to them, and it happened. But I think what's happening, I've, I've argued this point so many times, we have we believe in such monotheism that God was the only God because he said, there is none beside me. He was telling the Hebrews there is none beside me. I am your God. There are other gods. I know I made them, and I put them over the other nations. But there is going to come a day, and I'm going to take them all out, and then it's just going to be me. He tells Israel, I want to be your king. They wanted a man king. And they got one, Saul. Right. Right? But then who did they end up getting as a man king? Jesus, the Messiah. But he was crucified. But he stands at the right hand of the Father. He is, his kingdom is in existence now. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. There is a spiritual side to this. Christ was the rejected cornerstone. The cornerstone of what? The temple. The builders rejected the cornerstone. Christ was the cornerstone of that temple. It's a spiritual temple. What did Paul tell you that you were? Know you not that you're the temple of God? I mean, I've said this over and over and over. 
there is a spiritual side to this. He tells Nicodemus, how can you understand heavenly things if you don't understand earthly things? You must be born again, born of the Spirit. You. And that's that's a great point, and I'm glad you said that because what I was just thinking of was when he went to the upper room and he put the Spirit on them and they gained more understanding. Immediately they understood the Scriptures. Exactly. Without the Spirit, they didn't understand it. But with the Spirit, they did. And it's the same for all mankind. Until you you read it and you interpret it, but until it's given to you, you don't understand it. It's hard to explain that to somebody, but it's just a fact. I mean, I didn't understand it. There's a lot to swallow when it comes to reading and understanding because you have to think about the words and you have to think about the context and you have to think about so many different things and then try to relate them to present day uh, and then try not to misunderstand them. Mm -hmm. And there's so much noise out there. I mean, and, and there was, you know, there was noise in Jesus's day too. There were hundreds upon hundreds of false prophets, all claiming to be. They came after him and before him. During his time, there during his time, they were killing prophets. Right, people claimed to be uh, the prophet, right and left. There was one story that I read that they they killed at least a person a day, who who were false prophets, and that uh, the. You know the Romans and the and the and the Jews, the rabbis, uh, were getting rid of these people uh, who were preaching, you know, heresy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that a lot of that was going on back in Jesus's time as well. Right. And so, to for for all of us that have these different views about eschatology, meaning the study of end times, that's what it means. If we have all these different views and we're all arguing amongst ourselves or to each other and people are watching that, you know, we have to get something very clear. Yes, eschatology matters. Jesus taught it. Of course it matters. But when we talk about the salvation of the soul, like somebody that is that has nothing to do with God whatsoever, doesn't believe in God or anything like that, we're trying to tell them what we believe. It's very difficult to do. Not just out of fear, but just because it's hard to, it's hard to, to talk about it. Oh, like, absolutely. Like there's, you have no idea what you're missing. You know, like yeah. I, I'm saying all that and you're like, I'm watching you guys argue. I don't want a part of that. You know, right. like I get that. I, I do get that. But you know, this, like I think about Andy all the time. Like I, I know, I don't know what Andy thinks on a daily basis. I can't, you know, I, there's no way I can only remember where I was in my life. And for me to look at him and say, you know, Hey, you're not like me. So, you know, I, don't, I love Andy. You, know, you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I spend most of my time thinking about magical Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I have like, I've, but I got a, you know, I got a really soft place in my heart for Andy. I always will until I die. And I've known Andy for a long time, you know, and I, I do have that struggle in my heart about what I believe versus what he believes and what I think about, you know, the afterlife, but I'm not going to, you know, Punch him in the face and be like, listen to me. No, that You're going that's not how it works. To hell if you don't change. I'm not going to say that or, or, to or him. Jesus is coming tomorrow. He's had enough think, people uh, say that yeah. to him. Trust I, me. I genuinely appreciate the fact that you are not going to punch me in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to put that out there. Well, you know that old saying, uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So you could do that and beat him into submission, but in his mind, he's still yeah, going to believe what he believes. But I, you know, for him... You know, obviously, I'm here. I'm not here to proselytize Andy. I'm here because Andy is a fantastic sound engineer, and that's mm-hmm. why our quality is as good as the best guys out there. And and, and a friend. He's a friend. <laughs> yes, we have. 
uh, we've done movies and stuff together. And we have yeah. we have a lot a long just, history. Just for dear reader, Rick is the sort of dude that gets into cool shit. Yeah, <laughs> and so. Yeah, if, and, and if, goes all in. If you answer, if you answer the phone when Rick calls, generally cool shit's happening. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you better put your big boy pants on because <laughs> get ready. Here comes That's Rick. Right. We need a sawmill to chop somebody <laughs> up back. <laughs> That's how I met Ralph. That's how I met Ralph. I, I was reaching out. I was making Stillwaters, and his wife, who I went to high school with, said, "Hey." You know, talk to Rick. He's making a film, and we've been friends ever since. And that's how – I mean, I met you through Alice. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we filmed at your – At the sawmill. Uh, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Gloria was in Stillwater. Yeah. Like there was, I remember there was, the sawmill. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we've had those connections, you know. Jonas was in which. Oh, yeah. You know? I definitely yeah. remember the sawmill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely remember it. I died there. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he yeah. was yeah. murdered that. there. That's right. yeah, I, was, I filmed uh, that. <laughs> yeah. I was murdered oh, to death right. in there. If you remember, uh, Matty Blair Drake hits you over the back with a two by four. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, rudely cut one that was uh, that was a sawmill bro yeah yeah, yeah I, mean, I know it was a sawmill but it's a like, solid it was supposed before, to be cut okay? to break over my back <laughs> yes so whenever she hit me the first oh, time with funny. it during the yeah. <laughs> yeah like the test ones it didn't break it, and dad's just like sit still <laughs> sit still like don't move let her hit you with the two by yeah, four and quit yeah. whining here you go no. Billy. go, go All right, cut so a little more here's what I want you to do I want you to hit him again but this time, I want you to hit him harder. Yeah. <laughs> hit him Which, harder. Can you take it? And here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Which yeah. sounds crazy, but the deal is if the thing breaks, it hurts way less. So you need to get over that hump. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I was just happy to be there. I was like, oh my God, I'm in a movie. What's, what's so fun, though, and you have to understand it, although it was scary and hard because we had him on a conveyor, like going into yeah. like a chipper. And but the chipper wasn't running. It wasn't okay, running, okay, but yeah. he pressed the button as if it was running, yep, right? That yep. was just the fear of like, what happens if I get dumped in that? But I've had more compliments on that scene as the, the grossest, scariest part of the film. Really? Yes, because it's, because it makes that nasty. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like after that was a lot of work it. filming that. I ran. I had. I was moving back and forth with the camera. I was in this position. I was sitting down. I was kneeling down. And then you said, "No, I want you to get over here and do this." Now get over here. You had me running around like a chicken Actually, with his head yeah, cut was, off. That was a were you at the general. sawmill? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were there until like what two in the morning. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really? They were screaming, and it was just. And I was Maddie like, Blair was completely soaked with that yeah. fake I, blood. I was, oh, yeah. I was sound that. That's oh, at one the, of the end when at the end when she gave that speech, though that was. Do you want to know what's crazy that I found out after the fact? Maddie Blair did not know it, but she was pregnant. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. And you remember how rough it was on her. I mean, yeah. she was getting beaten and dragged and shot and yeah. falling down on the ground. Like, it was crazy, but she was pregnant that there. Wow. I thought that's gonna be one hearty kid. I love. I, I would really <laughs> like to see like at her house, like you go over and visit her, and you see like the picture of her, like all bloodied up, and be like, "Yeah, that's where I had yeah. you. You were look at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the kid. Yeah, yeah. And she already had Solomon, and that I think his name is Simon. That's the name of her second son. So, well, thank Am you. I right? I'm gonna step in again, like I do a lot of times, just to bring a little bit of clarity here. Uh, for everyone out there that's listening, we are all studying. We are all friends trying to help each other uh, learn more. And uh, the bottom line is, uh, as a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm, I am saved at that. So you don't have to have 
perfect understanding about the Bible. You don't have to absolutely believe everything. You should, and you should have faith. However, I understand some things are unbelievable, but study and try to learn more and Mm -hmm. know that, you know, as long as you accept Jesus Christ, you are saved and it's okay to question. Yeah. And, and Andy, I'll say this in the past, you told me, you know, hippie Jesus. Yeah. That's the guy that I like. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I I think actually at a note, it's old from last podcast, but, but you were talking about the idea, the, uh, this is so out of place. Uh, I might just cut it out. I'll, I'll say hippie Jesus. Hippie Jesus. Yes. I love, I love that. The, the idea of the man and his teachings Mm -hmm. are absolutely golden. And I stand behind as far as I can tell everything he said. I Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's great. Whether or not you believe in his divinity, there's good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, and that's the reason uh, that I think like it's, it's absurd and difficult even for somebody like me to think that somehow Jesus was being disingenuous. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a throwback. I'm going to cut this out because it won't make any sense. But uh, Jesus would be just disingenuous from the detective thing because you just look at that man and you just – historically, you just you just like, no. No, that just – it feels wrong. I don't even want it to be. You know what I mean? So it's like that's – Jesus has a weird sort of armor against that. To yeah. Me. And I even think, I, I'm just like, no, it's kind of a non-starter for me. His followers are what did him in, in, in society. The, the, the one, the bad followers, the one that really weren't serious about it and that were hateful, like the KKK, the people that were mm-hmm. mean with this religion ruined it for people because everything that you're talking about, that hippie Jesus, the love Jesus, that was his message. Right. And he That's who he always, was. Obviously he was, you know, a man that went in and did things physically, table flipping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like, it's not like a candy thing. No. But, but the core of the message was a lot of good and stuff. You bring up a good point. And this, maybe this will be an outtake if you don't keep it in this episode, but just hear me out on this. That table flipping, you know what the table flipping was for? Well, it wasn't it... Uh, against the practice of uh, taking money for some sort of religious... Something. Yes, it was in the Gentile court. It was in the part of the temple where a Gentile who wanted to pay respect to their God would come in and he would get his sacrifice for his family because he believed in Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, even mm-hmm. though he was a Gentile. Well, what the Jews were doing was they were double charging. They were yeah. making them buy those special sacrifices and wouldn't let them bring in their choice that they had. They had to buy it from inside. And Jesus said, this is a den of thieves. You're stealing, and you're taking away from the people that believe in our God. It's a problem that the church has run into on a number of occasions. I mean, the Reformation's basically all about that, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, his that the Jesus that you're talking about is the Jesus that I believe in. When Jesus speaks judgment, and he's harsh, and he's talking about hell and fire and, and all of that stuff, He's talking to the religious elite of their time. He's not going up to Peter the fisherman and saying, if you don't believe me, you're going to burn in hell. That He never did that. Never. He went to them. He said, he went to the religious and said, you know, uh, obviously you don't need a physician. It's the sick that need me. You think you're fine. And they weren't. He told the story. We talked about the tax collector, you know. The tax collector and the Pharisee go into the temple to pray, and the Pharisee says, I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. 
you know, I tithe and I read the Bible and I do all the good stuff. I'm so glad that I'm with you. And the tax collector, it says he couldn't even look up to heaven. He beat on his breast and he said, I am a sinner. He recognizes mm. the fact that he did bad things in his life. Which and is, instead which of being hard, self-righteous. Hard to admit by God because yes. everybody has reasons for the things they do. So you always internally... I mean, you realize it's easy enough to realize when you've overreacted to something, but very difficult to recognize when you've actually made a bad decision because your bad, de- bad decisions are based on what look like the, a set of circumstances where that decision made sense in that moment. Right. And so it's very hard to admit when you are wrong mm-hmm. because you wouldn't have done it if you thought you were wrong in the first place. Right. Unless you are I mean, everyone who makes bad decisions justifies their bad decisions. Well, it's, it's not even that. It's like before that even. Yeah. You had reasons. Yep. You yeah, had reasons. That's right. Yeah. I wanted that money, so I burgled that woman. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not know? always good. But then there's the justification, as you say. Right. I just yeah. like saying burgled. <laughs> it sounds like something I want to eat here in a minute. Burgled. <laughs> burgled. All right. Well, let's get back to this. So... All of this stuff that I was talking about as far as divine counsel and other gods and what I saw in the heavens versus what I see in the earth, that's fine and and dandy on the side. If you don't want to believe it, don't. If you do want to believe it, then get into the studies with us and you'll see where it's heading. But as far as the physical things that took place, the things that I know that we can prove historically, it is the destruction of that temple. It is 40 years from the time that he prophesied it. And he said this generation, and according to Scripture, a generation is 40 years. So I believe that Jesus' prophecies came true. What that, what the ramifications of that belief means, I don't know. How it all fits into his second coming and versus what, what it is, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that I don't know right now. But I am going to continue to study it because I want to understand it. But I, I don't want to instill fear in everybody like Jesus is going to show up tomorrow because of this and that. Look, if you don't believe that part of that scripture was fulfilled and that that temple was destroyed and you're waiting on a future temple, then there's no way Jesus could come anytime soon because there's not a temple. It doesn't exist. It's a mosque. You have to have a holy war. It's not going to happen anytime soon. If you do believe it like a partial preterist, which in the past, all of these things were fulfilled and that Christ could come for the, the full consummation of the kingdom— and then the new heaven and the new earth happens. If you believe it like that, well then, yeah, because the temple has been destroyed, it could happen at any minute. It could. And what they call the rapture, you know, it, it does say that we will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, it, it the Bible says it. It's going to happen. You know, whether it happened back then or it's happening in our future, it happened momentarily. But if we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, it is a spiritual thing as well. So you just got to be able to divide the two. Let's get into the abomination of desolation so that we can get through this study. Okay, so that is a sign that he said that the disciples would see. When you see this happen, then you know that the end is near. And he's talking about the end of the age, the end of the Jewish age, the nation of Israel's apostate leadership, the chief priests that were that killed him, the Son of God, that that it was going to happen to them, all right? So he gives, let's let's get into, uh, in the last study, we broke down 4 through 14, where it talked about earthquakes and famines and all that, and I proved to you historically that all of those things, not only in the Bible, but also in history, that those things were fulfilled. 
So everything that he said was true all the way up to that point. And then in verses 15 through 20, then Jesus gives this unmistakable sign concerning the destruction of the temple, his coming in the end of the Jewish age. Verse 15, it says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Any end-time preaching that we've talked about, it's always like, like I said, you know, left-behind movie. (laughs) You know, that's what they're waiting for. And then after this, the great tribulation will come. But let's see. I want to break this down for you a little bit. Uh, You remember I was talking about Dallas Theological Seminary, that they were a proponent of this kind of thing? So this is what the late John F. Walvoord, who was a doctor of theology, who was a president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said. He says, Such a temple will be rebuilt, and these prophecies literally fulfilled like Jerusalem's destruction in AD 70, wasn't literal enough. (laughs) Okay, that's what I said. That's emphasis is mine. He says that the temple will be rebuilt and these prophecies literally fulfilled. If upon this revival of their sacrificial system, such a future temple is suddenly desecrated, it would constitute a sign to the nation of Israel of the coming time of great trouble, just preceding the second coming. So as you can see, they're teaching that the temple that was destroyed in the past that's not what they were talking about. There's going to be a future temple that's going to be built. So in, if you follow their line of thinking, which is premillennial, rapture, then the destruction of the temple, Antichrist, all that, it's a future thing. Okay. Okay. So that's these people. Jonas, what do you think of all this stuff? Is it blowing your mind? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like I told everybody earlier, I was like, just so you know of the temple. You guys are the living stones. Peter called you the living stones. And I said, as far as getting stoned, we are not talking about hitting the ball. <laughs> no. Even even if Ralph is from Compton. <laughs> so we've been taught all of this Rolling stuff, right? Dirty. All right. But I want to I want to tell you what abomination according to what the Old Testament says. This is what abomination is to God in regard and th- that makes desolate, okay? In 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. What is that? That's a god. In He's building a temple for Chemosh. And for Molech, who is the god of the Ammonites, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. So Solomon himself, because of all of his extra wives, you know, that were leading him around, he built these special worship places for other gods. Solomon did that. Now, in Ezekiel 5.11, Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will withdraw, my eye will not spare, and I will have no pity. So, the abomination of desolation is a Hebrew expression meaning an abominable or hateful destroyer, something that is evil that is in that temple. It's an abomination. So basically, if you get into the apocryphal writings, which is First and Second Maccabees, and it talks about the Maccabean revolt, they believed that the abomination of desolation had already happened prior to Christ. There was a man by the name of Antiochus, or Antiochus, Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes. And what he did was he sacked Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He opens up the Holy of Holies 
and sacrifice pigs in there. Now, that's an abomination in their eyes. And so you could say, oh, well, maybe it was fulfilled at that point. The reason why we don't believe it was fulfilled is because Jesus said it hadn't been fulfilled yet. Okay. That's the only reason why. Otherwise, I would say, yep, <laughs> you know, sounds pretty bad. You're not, you know, swine were unclean. So if you put an unclean animal and you cut it up in the Holy of Holies. And he made the Jews eat it. Yes. And then massacred was, them because they wouldn't bow down to him. Because they wouldn't bow down. That's right. And so you can find all that in the first Maccabees, which is an apocryphal writing. Um, did uh, Ralph, did you did you guys study the apocrypha when you were in in Catholic churches, or did you just reference? Yeah, we we, we didn't do a deep study on it. No. Okay. There, there, there are several times that uh, you know either the priest or the pastor, depending if I was in the Catholic Church or, or uh, outside of the Catholic Church, uh, they would talk about it. But you know, I found. One of the things that I like about this is I've been a member of several different churches. They have like a revolving schedule. Mm -hmm. And they don't teach the entire Bible, most of them. Right. So, you know, this time of the year we teach about marriage. This time of the year we teach about this. And then don't forget there's Easter and then there's Christmas. And there's certain things that come up. And then if something happens in society, uh, then they will put together a talk on that. But a lot of, I would say... More two thirds or more of the Bible doesn't get discussed very seldom, mm -hmm. and they're on a rotating schedule of the things that the messages that the churches believe in, their doctrine, what their dogma, what they want to get out, and those that's what they do. And, and when I was one church, I was a member of. He had a three year cycle that mm -hmm. all of these. So let's say there's fifty two weeks, forty weeks a year are these things, and it's a three year cycle, and then the other ones are specialty things like uh, marriage. Uh, you know, something happened that they have to stop what's going on and and go into this message. Got it. Yeah. So I like this because we go into things just like this and answer questions that I've had for for years. Didn't know they were questions until you said something like, you know, I always kind of wondered about that. Yeah. Yeah. How many churches have said Jesus is coming back since COVID came out. Like, here's one of the diseases. Here's what Jesus talked about. Mm -hmm. Get ready, people. Yeah. Here's the offering plate. So, right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, I, you know, I know I mean, it's, it's a joke, but it is it's, what it is. You know, exactly. Yeah. So, and I'm not trying to get as many emails from churches as we possibly can, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's true. Well, there hey, is I a... Could, I could use a yacht. <laughs> by, the time, by the time our audience hears this episode, we'll have a website with an email address so that you don't have to come by Andy's personal <laughs> home and hand him things. So, I, I'm hoping Rick, that Rick's, Rick. Rick.welch at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs to be nice because I'm easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Giraffe Studios. <laughs> yeah. So let me give you a little bit more backstory on uh, Antiochus. So first of all, he was a Syrian, and he gave himself the name Epiphanes, and uh, translated, that word means the God made manifest. And it was his goal to stamp out the entire Jewish religion. That was his plan. And he put out a royal edict uh, that, that suspended the practice of all sacrifices um, with the penalty being death. And so he turned the priest's rooms in the temple into public brothels. Okay. And then in uh, 168 BC, he dedicated the temple to Zeus, and a statue of Zeus, which resembled uh, Antiochus, was placed over the altar 
and then they sacrificed the pig on that altar itself. And so this was a filthy abomination, okay? And this is what uh, Josephus in his history um, wrote. Uh, you can find this in volume one of the Antiquities of the Jews. He also spoiled the temple and put a stop to the constant practice of offering a daily sacrifice of expiation for three years and six months. So there's that three and a half years. It's so unique because that's in Daniel, and it looks like it's a type, and those kind of things happen. So uh, for three years and six months, he compelled the Jews to dissolve the laws of their country and to keep their infants uncircumcised and to sacrifice swine's flesh upon the altar. This so, guy had a problem with pigs. He, he yeah. Like some bacon. He should have just went after some donkeys, man. Ah, easy he on was the a jackass. <laughs> so... Well, it's so, funny. He was a Roman who wanted to be a Greek. Well, he was Syrian. Yeah. Antiochus was Syrian. So, but Jesus said that the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, that it hadn't come. Like it hadn't come yet, that that is the abomination. So um, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13, then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? So after uh, Daniel 9, 26 through 27, it says, And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That is literally describing Christ. The anointed one that shall be cut off, and then he is also the prince, the prince of peace, who's coming to destroy the city and the sanctuary, which is who he said he is. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for a half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay? So... It's clearly referring to the Messiah, the anointed one. So Antiochus Epiphanes and his abomination that caused desolation is not the correct one because the Messiah had not come. That's the indicator. When the Messiah comes and then the Messiah says it, that's when you know it's going to happen. So um, Kyle and Dilech in their commentary on Daniel— this is something they wrote in their commentary. The interpretations of Daniel 9, 24 through 27 may be divided into three principal classes. One, most of the church fathers and the older Orthodox interpreters find prophesied here the appearance of Christ in the flesh, his death, and the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. Two, the majority of the modern interpreters, on the other hand, refer the whole passage to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. So, it's sort of divided there. All right, so he just says, if we go back to what Matthew said, um, Jesus has bypassed any declared fulfillment of Antiochus Epiphanes. He's saying that it's still coming, all right? So even though the Apocrypha that's been written, in, it's, and it's calling it the abomination that caused desolation, he's saying, no, that's not it. So Jerusalem is considered the holy city. Okay? So when the abomination that comes standing in the holy place, it doesn't necessarily mean it's in the temple. The holy place is also 
the city of Jerusalem. It's the holy city. So, for instance, in Matthew 4, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Right? Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Revelation 11, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Um, Mark, in the book of Mark, it says it's where it's standing where it ought not. Okay? But in order to understand what the abomination of desolation is in this Olivet Discourse, you have to know what Luke says. It's pretty deep, isn't it, Jonas? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> How you doing over there? I'm doing good. I'm just reading Playing along. chess? He's treading water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. just reading along with whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what it says in Luke. This is In Luke 21, this is the parallel of Matthew 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So basically, what Jesus is saying is when you see the entire, when you see the city surrounded by armies, you know it's coming. And he's telling the disciples this. All right. So if we believe Jesus is the Messiah, we believe that he says the abomination of desolation hasn't happened. And if we believe that the disciples were there listening to him and it would happen in their generation, then that means that the next time that the siege of Jerusalem would happen, that's the moment. Did Luke leave that out about the armies? No, Luke's the one that put it in. So I go the other way. Matthew. Matthew left yeah, it yeah, out, yeah, but yeah, Luke that, put there, it in. Yeah, 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 that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is what um, some early church fathers wrote in regard to uh, Luke's statement. Chrysostom wrote, For this it seems to me that the abomination of desolation means the army by which the holy city of Jerusalem was made desolate. That's Chrysostom. Here's what uh, Augustine wrote in 379, AD 379. Luke, to show that... <laughs> Luke, I am your father... Luke, to show that the abomination spoken of by Daniel will take place when Jerusalem is captured, recalls these words of the Lord in the same context. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed about with an army, then know that the desolation thereof is at hand. For Luke very clearly bears witness that the prophecy of Daniel was fulfilled when Jerusalem was overthrown. By Ewoks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you, so this is Augustine. This is Augustine. So he's an early church father who believed this happened. Has anybody ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers? He gets He's quoted by Baptists that don't even believe what he believed in all the time. They quote C.H. Spurgeon. They don't even believe what C.H. Spurgeon believed. Listen to what he says. And this is he wrote this in 1888. Um, this portion of our Savior's words appears to relate solely to the destruction of Jerusalem. As soon as Christ's disciples saw the abomination of desolation, that is, the Roman ensigns. The Roman ensign was these tall, like, golden um, poles that had images of Zeus or the, the images of the emperor, and then they had eagles on them, and then they had the lightning bolt of Zeus. This is what those Roman priests would carry around in their armies, like leading them. When they when they saw those ensigns, th those were abominations to them. They were other gods. They were basically like idolatry of other gods because the Romans would lay down and they would worship 
they would worship those ensigns. So it says, so he says, that is the Roman ensigns with their idolatries stand in the holy place. They knew that the time for their escape had arrived and they did flee to the mountains. He wrote that in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom. So the Roman armies were an abomination. Okay, they were the ones that were desolating to the Jews, okay? And it's not just because they were heathen men and uncircumcised, but because the images were gods. <laughs> I see Billy. <laughs> Every time I say uncircumcised, you like... I don't know. I don't know why that's funny. But you, you just <laughs> always leave, or you always put that detail in there. It's so funny. Like, whenever, you know, for me... It's like a parachute. Like, whenever they get... <laughs> don't <yeah>. open. <laughs> And then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna touch your feet or your genitals. Yes, Zippera. That's funny. All I right, stay Sorry. away from my genitals. <laughs> so, Christ's explanation, guys, is basically saying that when you see those armies surrounding the city, that it's the desolation. So that's it. Let the reader understand. It says in the Bible, he's telling you this is a this is a gospel now, and you're reading this. Let the reader understand, this is the sign. So in their generation, if they read this gospel and they saw it happen, then they would have they would have to know, it's time to flee. We have to flee the city, okay? So in regard to the armies, because Luke says armies and not army, I've heard the people say, well, that could be it because it said armies. It was just the Roman army, Right. Well, historically speaking, that's actually not accurate either. Because according to uh, the historical accounts, Syria sent 25,000 soldiers, conscripts, and Arabia sent 6,000 soldiers. And if you read the history, you know that the Arabians were fierce whenever they were in there. And by the way, they still own it to this day. So, um, Let's read another quote. This is from The History of the Christian Church by uh, author Philip Schaff. So he's going to give us this picture. Titus, according to Josephus, intended at first to save that magnificent work of architecture as a trophy of victory, and perhaps from some superstitious fear. And when the flames threatened to reach the Holy of Holies, he forced his way through flame and smoke over the dead and dying to arrest the fire. So Titus himself did not want to burn the temple. He wanted to keep it. But the destruction was determined by a higher decree. His own soldiers, roused to madness by the stubborn resistance and greedy of the golden treasures, could not be restrained from the work of destruction. At first, the halls around the temple were set on fire. Then a firebrand was hurled through the golden gate. When the flames arose, the Jews raised a hideous yell and tried to put out the fire, while others, clinging with a last convulsive grasp to their messianic hopes, rested in the declaration of a false prophet. Did you catch that? That God in the midst of the conflagration of the temple would give a signal for the deliverance of his people. The legions vied with each other in feeding the flames and made the unhappy people feel the full force of their unchained rage. Soon, the whole prodigious structure was in a blaze and illuminated the skies. It was burned on the 10th of August, AD 70, and the same on the same day of the year on which, according to tradition, the first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. Isn't that crazy? 
No one, says Josephus, can conceive a louder, more terrible shriek than arose from all sides burning during the burning of the temple. The shout of victory and the jubilee of the legion sounded through the wailing of the people, now surrounded with fire and sword upon the mountain and throughout the city. The echo from all the mountains around, even to Perea, increased the deafening roar, yet the misery itself was more terrible than this disorder. The hill on which the temple stood was seething hot and seemed enveloped to its or enveloped to its base in one sheet of flame. The blood was larger in quantity than the fire, and those that were slain were more in number than those that slew them. The ground was nowhere visible. All was covered with corpses. Over these heaps, the soldiers pursued the fugitives. The Romans planted their eagles on the shapeless ruins. Do you remember when Jesus said that where the um, corpses lay, the vultures will gather? You ever read that? He says it in this discourse. That word is eagles. Where the corpses lay, the eagles will gather. And a lot of times we think it's that it's this carry on, like, you know, the, the birds coming over there and then eating the flesh. That's not what it means. Where the corpses lay, there the vultures will gather, there the eagles will gather, the ensigns were laid. The, it says it right here in history. The Romans planted their eagles on the shapeless ruins over against the eastern gate, offered their sacrifices to them, and proclaimed Titus Imperator with the greatest acclamations of joy. Thus was fulfilled the prophecy concerning the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. Now, it gets even better. I mean, as if that wasn't horrible enough. Can I, can I just say one thing? Because it just bugs me every time you say it. I believe it's the word is ensigns. So it's an ensign. Did I say ensign? You do. So it's ensign? Ensign. All right. I apologize for my inability to read. But that's how it works up in here. Incense. All right. So the Roman incense. All right. All right. So in my opinion, it says the, abomin- the abomination of desolation is a past event. And that's what C.H. Burton said. Augustine said. Other church, early church fathers said that the abomination of desolation has already taken place. So anybody that says that it's a future event, in my opinion, is inaccurate. That's what I'm saying. That I'm I'm putting the flag up on that one. I agree with C.H. Spurgeon and, and Augustine and the others. I think it that has happened. Okay. Now, so let's continue. Um, in verse sixteen, let, let when then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So, what did he say in fifteen? When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. You know the time is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So when the Roman armies are seen surrounding Jerusalem, they it doesn't matter about the rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, anything. When they see the army, that's the sign. That's the time. Get out of there. Flee. All right? So flee. So this is what Eusebius says. Uh, he wrote, the only surviving account of the church during its first 300 years, Eusebius. The whole body of the church at Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation given to men of approved piety there before the war, removed from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella. So now we have a historical account that was written in 300. All right. 
But wait question. It was written when? That was 300 AD. He writes this, but get ready. I'm not done. What you got, Billy? How long did it take to destroy the temple? The temple? I, One yeah. night. Okay. They worked on Jerusalem. They were there for months. I think they arrived in April. I think they arrived on Passover. Okay. And there was a blood moon. I found that out too. It, on, on Passover of AD 70, there was a blood moon. Yeah. You know how John Hagee had the four blood moons mm-hmm. and said something mm-hmm. would happen? Yeah. Yeah, he was wrong. But the blood moon <laughs> happened way back when. That was real. That's pretty ominous. That's a bad night. Yeah. That is a very bad night. Yeah. I'm um, staying under the covers. Yeah, I want. Um, you're going to have to give me a second. I, I took a picture out of the, the book of Josephus that I had because I wanted to read it in total. I wanted you guys to hear something that Josephus wrote that he didn't know. And this is, it's so crazy. While you're doing that, I want, because I don't know, I'm just, okay, you, so you said Titus didn't want to destroy the temple. He did not. He wanted okay, to keep it here's for himself. Something that I found. The, the historian Josephus actually witnessed the siege and aftermath and said, now as soon as the army had no more people to slay or to plunder, because they remained no, none to be the objects of their fury, Titus Caesar gave orders that they should now demolish the entire city and temple. Mm-hmm. So was it just he didn't want to? But since we're we're doing it, let's 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 go ahead. Basically, uh, that they were so crazy after okay. being there on that siege for so long that they finally got this victory. They went crazy. Okay, they went bananas, and they said that he tried to stop it. He tried to stop. He wanted to save the temple because he wanted to give it to his father. Vespasian was the emperor, okay. and so he wanted to like name, like give, put his father's images there on the temple, and like give it to his father as a gift. But once it started burning, he was toast. So he's gotcha. like, "Let her burn. Let her burn, son. The roof, the it's roof on fire. The roof is on fire. We don't need no temples. Let's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so." There is in in this Josephus's book on the War of the Jews when he's talking about the siege of Jerusalem, he breaks out this part during the siege that is so fascinating. So listen here in Josephus. And now it was that a horrible fear seized upon the seditious, insomuch that many of them ran out of the city as though it were to be taken immediately. But the people upon this took courage. And where the wicked part of the city gave ground, thither did they come in order to get set, in order to set open the gates and to admit Cestius as their benefactor. So what had happened is that Cestius took a great army of his choicest men with them and the archers and attempted to break into the temple at the northern quarter of it. Okay, he succeeds. He actually does it. He gets inside. The people are freaking out. What Cestius doesn't know is that he literally had them by the cojones. But Cestius Gallus, who was the general of this army at the time, this is before Titus. Titus comes later. But Cestius Gallus, as he's there, he gets that moment. What he doesn't know is that he could have taken the whole city right then. He had no idea. But listen to this. So it says, And thither they did come in order to set open the gates and to admit Cestius as their benefactor. So what they were going to try to do is do like a truce. All right, you're here. Let's open the gates. Let's let them in. Let's give them a truce. We're going to calm down. No more revolt, right? (laughs) What? 
What are you laughing about? <laughs> they let him in, so he was incestuous. <laughs> Incest, incestuous. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> you have to cut that out. No, please. I have a freaky mind. Please don't no, cut no, it that's out. That's not getting cut. I want a rim shot. <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking the same sort of thing. That, yeah, like that, rim shot that baby. Not only does it not get cut, it deserves a sound effect. <laughs> I know. Speaking of not getting cut, that is uncircumcision. All right, so. Sword of yeah. the day. Yeah. It is. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> who, now listen to this, who. Had he but continued the siege a little longer, had certainly would have taken the city. But it was. This is Josephus, who's an unbeliever. He's a writer. He's a Jew, but he writes for the Romans. He says, I suppose he would have certainly taken the city, but it was, I suppose, owing to the aversion God had already at the city and the sanctuary. God had already at the city and the sanctuary that he was hindered from putting an end to the war that very day. It then happened that Cestius was not conscious either how the besieged despaired of success, nor how courageous the people were for him. And so he recalled his soldiers from the place, and by despairing of any expectation of taking it without having received any disgrace, he retired from the city without any reason in the world." So Seth just backs up. He could have taken it that minute, but for some reason, he doesn't. He's not aware of, of how well he's done. He didn't have Google telling him where he was at with the Google Maps, like everything's cool and all the people. None of that was there, right? Yes, sir. So this is a lot of information, and I'm wondering if... One of two things. I told you this should be, be broken up into more than one <laughs> podcast, this particular session we're in right now, or if there's a way of well, putting, almost done. putting a pause in a couple of places, mm -hmm. putting a space and say, okay, uh, for those of you, we've just gone through this. If you want to go back, this is the point at which you go back because we're at the end of this particular and maybe make it three or four sections so that people know, because this is so much information. I've read this and I've done this and sometimes I'm getting lost in it. I'm thinking maybe we ought to break it up a little bit and yeah. leave it Are as portions Are you all lost where, in here? Is everybody lost? It's just a lot of information to try to bring in at once and then you go through something and it's like okay where are we what what are we doing and then that's the joy of a podcast you can I, pause I, it anytime you like yeah, you can well yeah i just that's what i'm saying is is it, just kidding you have to listen non-stop <laughs> right right so i would just break this up into this is, there's four sections to this this is the first section so study this <laughs> the all of a discourse part 17 <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> well it's it's one of those it's one of those things people that are going to be inclined to do a personal study on this are probably just going to be inclined. And people that are not are probably just, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I mean, there's a lot of people that haven't even heard this, guys. Right. They don't even yeah. know oh, yeah. that I, the temple was destroyed. They well, don't even know that Jesus even really... I agree that this was a lot, that this is a lot, but yes. I do think it's one of those sort of things. You could do an in-depth or you could say, hey, here's a, this is an interesting thing. Or do a side study on your own yeah, right, to exactly. get some understanding and then maybe come back to this. Right. Yeah, and... Right. You're, surprisingly, you're you're pretty much ending where I'm at because Jesus just then talks about you know pray that it doesn't happen on a Sabbath or during the winter, like so that you can leave and run. Right. And the church fathers knew historically speaking that whenever the Roman army hit, that the Christians actually left the city. And you have to understand how crazy that was. 
you've got to understand how crazy that was. You run into a city during a siege. You don't run out of it. This this mi- mighty fortress of Jerusalem is where you're going to live. You're going to outlast an army when you have plenty of provisions on the inside. What they what what happened though is that they burned everything internally because they had a civil war going on inside the walls. You know, it was just everything everything just kind of hit all at once. But the Christians had been warned, and they remembered. They and, it, and it's recorded historically that the temple, whenever the armies came around it, they saw that as the desolation was near, and they exited. They got out while they when Cestus Gallus took his moment and backed off for no apparent reason. That even Josephus, who wrote the history, is like for no reason in the world. He backed off. He said, "I imagine it's an aversion by God." He was right, but he wasn't a believer. He didn't know that Jesus had warned them that this is going to happen and that they could escape, and they did. They went to Berea into the mountains. Yep. Isn't that something? Brings it all back to Berea. That's right. Berea. That's right. Anybody got any jokes for this for this podcast? Oh, that's the only podcast appropriate joke i know to be fair i only know like three jokes total so oh nice how about you you got any jokes i already said one i gave you the incestuous no that's (laughs) it how about you no no jokes jonas you got any dirty jokes uh just kidding please don't tell (laughs) me no i mean like for a guy who lives for jokes like really nothing or really none come to mind right now all right all right this is my my other joke that I remember. Oh, nice. This one's awful. Oh, wonderful. Uh, okay, you ready for yes. this? What the girl with no arms and no legs get for Christmas? What? Cancer. Wow. I had heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one hurts me deep in my soul. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> and so it's great. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's awful objectively but it's a good joke yeah yeah so, yeah it's a joke it does what jokes do so knowing that jonas you're single and billy that you're single mm-hmm. i'm going to give you a few christian pickup lines that you can use oh okay next time you're at church uh, okay. or at a coffee house or just anywhere <laughs> yeah you can use ladies it anywhere. night tonight ladies night at a bar okay. a christian ladies night at a bar of course, i don't think probably that, that, not why do we tell actors to break a leg why because every play has a cast <laughs> oh, see, that's that's brick level. Yeah. Most people don't realize that the reason why they say break a leg is because you know why. You know why, right? You know where break a leg came from. All I know no, is I don't know where it originally. No. Is. All Do you I remember the is... night whenever Abraham Lincoln was shot and killed? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was during a play. Yeah. yeah, and the man John Wilkes Booth jumped, jumped off, off and, and broke his leg. leg. Oh, really? That's where it came from. Uh, that's another one for you. Helvetica and. Times New Roman walk into a bar. Get out of here, shouts the bartender. We don't serve your type. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here you go. Christian pickup lines for you. You guys ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get sure like book out. Hey, girl, you really are a fisher of men. And baby, you just reeled me in. Ooh, oh, oh, yeah. That Luscious. smells like a wet fish. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, the word says, give drink to those who are thirsty and feed the hungry. How about dinner, baby? <laughs> I like your redneck voice. Yeah. You hey, want me to babe, say it like that? You need to put your finger in your belly button as you say <laughs> these jokes, please. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I can't perform miracles, and I've only got enough bread and fish for two people. <laughs> I believe one of my ribs belongs to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I want it back. <laughs> you want it back? That is of these. That's actually kind of a good opener. Yeah, at a I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. yeah. You like your, rib, you like a, rib meat? Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the McRib's back. <laughs> so, oh. Why did the chicken go to the seance? Why? To get to the other side. Oh, hey, hey, yeah. That's good. Um, let's see. What is it? I might have a joke here in a minute. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah my my head is brewing. It's brewing? Yeah, it's trying to figure out what a good one is. I know you've already said no a few times, but call me Joshua because I'm going to break down them walls, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Wow. Yeah. Oof. Uh, wow. All right. Okay. Well, like, you know this; these are all Christian ones because they don't want you to get a date. Or <laughs> yeah. Score. Well, that's yeah, what I said. It's a Christian pickup line. I mean, yeah. you're not scoring not off great. of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not supposed to score, Ralph. That's why I said it's a Christian pickup line. <laughs> all right. Well, it's working. So I have a really stupid joke. <laughs> all right. Like right, a really stupid one. It may not be good, but I don't know. It was just one that I had thought of just all right. now. All right, so a sandwich walks into a bar. He asks the bartender, hey, can I get a drink? And the bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Burrows of Berea. Thanks, Billy, Ralph. Represent. Andy. Thank you. Jonas, we'll have you on again. I appreciate it, guys. Talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. Right, see you.